Right to be read podcast, episode number 120. Interview with Rebecca Patrick Howard. You are listening to the Right to be read podcast, and this is your host, Ani Alexander. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Right to be Read podcast, the podcast that inspires and encourages writers. I'm your host, Daniel Alexander, and as always, I would like to thank you for listening to this show. And also, uh, I would like, first of all, to thank everyone who is reaching out to me and providing feedback about the show and uh, talking about their impressions and what they would like to hear in the future episodes it really helps me a lot to make sure that I come up with content that is the most relevant to you and also I would like to ask you um, if you have just one minute uh, go to iTunes and rate and review the show and also subscribe to that because actually those are the things that affect podcasts rankings and once the rankings are high and it gets higher in the what's hot category more people will see it more people will listen to it and i will be happier so if you want to make me a favor please go ahead review the show and subscribe to that thanks a lot in advance Okay, so let's just start with uh, our episode. And today I have a fiction author over yet again. And I'm really happy to welcome Amazon bestselling paranormal author Rebecca Patrick Howard. So let's go over and see what we have covered during this interview. And I truly hope you'll enjoy it. Hello there, Rebecca. Thank you very much for coming over to my show. Thank you so much for having me. <laughs> well, I'm always excited to have fiction authors over because I noticed that I have this huge disbalance of having much more nonfiction authors on my show than fiction ones. So I decided to kind of try to adjust and correct that. <laughs> yeah, and I'm very sure. happy that, you know, I'm having yet another fiction author over because I somehow have a feeling that, you know, um, fiction writing and fiction marketing seems to be more challenging. <laughs> it feels like it. Sometimes <laughs> I've written fiction and nonfiction, and I do think the fiction can be a little harder to push. Oh, yeah. yeah. Okay, so let's start from the very beginning. Were you from those people who always dreamed to be a writer and who kind of, you know, who knew that that's what he will, she will become? Sort of. Um, I never wanted to be a writer. I, I always wanted to be a country music singer. And uh, I even moved to Nashville, um, which is the hub, you know, of country music, and and went to college there and got a degree in music business to wow. um, kind of pursue that career. But I've written all my life. I mean, all my teachers used to pull me up in front of the class and have me read my stories, and you know, they would you know, jokingly say to my mom, "She's going to be a writer one day," and I absolutely hated that. Like I. <laughs> I fought that my whole life. You know, no, I'm going to be a singer. No, I'm going to be a singer. And I was probably around 20 when I realized, no, nah, 
I'm probably going to be a writer. <laughs> okay, so it, it's very interesting that, you know, it, I have a feeling that people around you knew that much more in advance than you realized that yourself later on. <laughs> yeah, they seem to. <laughs> interesting. So what happened with, with not singing anymore and deciding to pursue a different career? What Are you still singing? <laughs> No. Um, t- well, it turns out I have terrible stage fright, oh. which <laughs> I've never been able to, to overcome. And uh, I, I can't write songs. I am not a songwriter. When I try to write songs, it sounds like Dr. Seuss. And I don't mean that in a good way. Like, <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's really, really bad. Uh, you know, so um, once I got down there and got around, you know, people who were actually really good at it, I realized I was way in over my head. So I enjoy music still. I put a lot of music into my fiction, um, but I, I don't sing. Okay, I see. Okay, so let's imagine you're 20, you realized that... Uh, you know, you're going to pursue writer's career and you're not going to sing anymore, uh, at least like seriously. <laughs> and um, what happens next? I mean, you obviously had already many things written, I suppose. Yeah. Uh, so what did you do? How did you decide to change the path and start over? Well, I decided at that point to go backpack Europe which, um, you know, I didn't even have a driver's license. I'd never driven a car. I'd never been anywhere by myself. But for some reason, I thought I could just land in Ireland and make my way all the way to the Czech Republic and be perfectly fine alone. (laughs) Um, And I did. I mean, it was okay. I didn't have any trouble. But while I did that, I ended up um, blogging. And this is in 2000. So this was before, you know, blogging was really popular. And I caught the attention of a company that did reviews on youth hostels, and Mm -hmm. they ended up contacting me and saying, you know, if you'll review youth hostels and cheap restaurants along your way, we'll pay for those. So I just about had the trip paid for by the time I came back. So for a long time, I was a travel writer. I ended up going back and forth to Europe three or four times a year, and I did that a lot. So my first um, published book was in 2004, and it was about my solo backpacking trip through um, Bosnia, Croatia, Hungary, Slovenia, those, you know, those countries, Mm -hmm. the former Yugoslavia. Oh, yeah. Well, interesting. So basically, uh, you know, you you got the experiences you were looking for. You enjoyed, uh, you know, doing what you loved doing. So you wrote yeah. those articles. Uh, you were getting money for that. And you yeah. basically uh, ended up uh, publishing a book about that as a result. Right. And I wrote a lot of fiction during that time. I wrote several novels, but I never felt comfortable uh, letting people read read those. You know, for some reason, the nonfiction seemed less intrusive. You know, it mm-hmm. uh, putting that out there, the fiction felt, you know, way too personal. And I was just really insecure about putting that out in the world. This was in the beginning, too, when self-publishing was just taking off. And people kept telling me, um, fiction won't sell. Self-published fiction won't sell. So I never even tried. 
Okay, I see. So let's let's dig into that part because I I know that many people feel related to this. Uh, to the fear of actually sharing their writing with others and having these uh, doubts and insecure feelings about how it will be perceived and that they are not emotionally ready to actually, you know, get that feedback yet and stuff like that. I mean, uh, how did you overcome those? Uh It was really hard. And, you know, in hindsight, my early fiction is not very good. So it's probably a good thing I didn't unleash it on the world. But I go back and read it now and it's pretty, it's pretty bad. But I think um, what helped me is I started going to a lot of um, like writing retreats, writing conferences, mm -hmm. where we would spend two or three days just sitting in circles, uh, drinking, playing music, and reading our, you know, our writing aloud to each other. That helped a lot because people were very positive about what I'd written. And being in that creative environment just kind of makes you want to write even more. Mm -hmm. So that that's really, I guess, the trigger that, that made me feel more confident in sharing it. Okay, I see. So when was the first time you shared and how did you share your fiction writing? Did you self-publish your first fiction book? Yes, I did. I, I self-published um, the first fiction book in 2013. Uh -huh. So it'll be almost three years in January. Um, it will be three years in January. It's almost three years now. <laughs> Okay, yeah, I see. So how did that feel? I mean, you, you basically, uh, you didn't have an audience in place and you were starting from scratch, actually. And you put it out there. Were you like all the other writers who kind of check their stats um, every other hour? Oh, yeah. Um, yeah, I'd refresh, refresh. Um, but I actually did have an audience at that point when my fiction came out, because before the fiction, I had written two collections of go local ghost stories. And they sold really, really well, uh, kind of amazingly well offline in local stores, you know, bookstores, festivals. And through that, I had created a fan page on Facebook, and I had um, over 3,000 people on it who were pretty active. And so when the fiction came out, I did have that platform. Now, not all of them were interested in it. And in fact, you know, when I would set up with the books to sell, I would beg people to read the fiction. I'd say, you know, take a chance on this one. It's better. I promise this book is better <laughs> than the other ones, you know. And finally, I mean, it took several months for the fiction to really take off. I think the first month I only sold 30 copies. And now I sell around 30 a day of that particular book. But I mean, I, I, I feel responsible for every single copy I sold. I mean, I really hit the ground pushing it. Okay, I see. So basically, I mean, that illusion that some of the writers, and I'm amazed that some of the writers still have that illusion, that just writing the book and putting it out there is enough to kind of to lean back, relax, and wait for the money. <laughs> right, yeah, that doesn't happen at all. And even with... Um, the ghost stories that, you know, were really popular offline. And I mean, I'll give you an example. 
I would set up at a local festival and I would have 100 copies and they'd be sold out by noon. I could never order enough copies of those books. But when I put them online, you know, when I put them on Amazon, I expected, you know, the sales to just start going through the roof. No. I mean, I think I maybe sold five five copies in a month. I mean, it was really, really hard. So there was even a discrepancy between what was going on offline and online. Mm, okay, I see. So how did you feel about that? I mean, when, when you saw that your book is not selling and, <laughs> and you know, you don't really get what you expected. Uh, I mean, did you ever think about giving up or you, yeah. know, you were making plans? You, you were? Okay, so l let's talk about that. <laughs> you know, well, how did you, I mean... Uh, looked at it I mean you wanted to give up but you obviously didn't because we're talking now and you're in a completely different place <laughs> <laughs> so what kept you going forward poverty I mean we were really poor at the time we uh, my family had no money we had the illusion of money because you know the ghost stories were selling well in the community but Most of what I made from that, which was only two or three dollars a book, was going back into, you know, buying the tent, buying food while we were set up at the festival, um, gas to get there and back. So there was there were no profits. We were on food stamps. We were on Medicaid. My mom was giving us like three hundred dollars a month um, for bills. We had absolutely nothing. We were scraping together pennies and, and quarters to occasionally treat ourselves at McDonald's. And when the when the fiction came out, my husband and I really put, you know, all of our faith on that, thinking this has got to be it. This has got to be the thing that pulls us out of the situation we're in. And when it didn't, he and I went into an immediate depression. Mm. Uh, and we didn't know what to do. I mean, we had banked kind of everything on this, and I had worked so hard. Uh, I really thought, you know, I had a blog tour set up. I had a platform. I had a good launch. Everything that you're supposed to do, and it failed. So I didn't know where to go from then, and I thought, we're going to have to go into bankruptcy, lose our house, go live with my mom. <laughs> uh all kinds of bad things <laughs> went through my mind. It wasn't fun. It wasn't a good period. Okay, so what kept you... I mean, it's it's kind of, you know, you... Obviously, you didn't lose the hope completely right. and you, you still believed in your books in order to continue writing and not giving up the thought that this is really the thing that will pull you out of the situation where you obviously don't belong and don't want to belong. What helped is, you know, a lot of people say they get their family and friends to do the first initial reviews for their book. I didn't have that. I couldn't get anybody I knew to read my book, much less review it. So what helped me is those first 10 or 15 reviews for that book were all organic or book bloggers. So they were honest reviews and they were really positive. So I thought it may not be selling, but at least people like it. Uh -huh. And that encouraged me to try another one. It was a long time before the sequel came out. It was, there were about eight months 
between the first two books in the series. But in between there, um, I'd had my appendix out. Oh, this sounds terrible. But um, I had my appendix out. I was on like pain medication post-op and I was laying there in bed one night and I started thinking about something scary that had happened to me and on the pain medicine it just made it worse (laughs) and I I, I creeped myself out so I got up and I turned on the light and I just sat down at the computer and started writing my own ghost story I thought you know I've written everybody else's why not write mine that one took off Uh that one sold really really well Okay, well, we we have to make a disclaimer here and say that, you know, one shouldn't take pain medications <laughs> before no, writing no, their no, books. No. <laughs> no, because, you know, what happened is um, it didn't help in the writing whatsoever because, I mean, there were so many mistakes and, you know, the thoughts were all over the place. But what it did is, uh, you know, it made my mind fuzzy and it made me scared. Uh, so yeah. I got a, it made me get out of bed. And I turned the lights on in the house. And that's what made me sit down and start writing. I had to do something with that fear. Uh, Even even though it was my own um, ghost story, I don't know, for some reason thinking about it, it it creeped me out 30 years later. (laughs) So, uh, yeah, (laughs) no, no, pain meds definitely not good when you're trying to write. (laughs) Well, Um, I... I guess you're kind of, you know, you would never guess that the fear would be the main motivation to go ahead and write the book that will eventually take off. (laughs) Right. And what I ended up doing with that book is, uh, you know, I uploaded it. It sold um, extraordinarily well in the United Kingdom for some reason. I don't know why I didn't promote it there at all. And uh, when I saw that the sales, you know, after clicking the dashboard over and over to see that number rising, when I saw that uh, the sales were were getting higher, I um, thought, I'll, I'll try something new. So I took what I thought was a good part of my fiction novel, and I stuck it in the back of the book that was actually selling. And, you know, I wrote a little blurb about... Um, Interested in Rebecca's fiction? Try out book one of her paranormal mystery series. And that ended up being, you know, kind of the catalyst that sent the fiction series, you know, into a new selling frenzy. Almost relaunched it, I guess you could say. Okay, well, it's interesting you say that because I have noticed that very often the same content that writers have, be that a blog post or, you know, or a podcast episode or even a book or whatever they have out there, very often this content doesn't really have get that traction and have the results that you expect. But once something else takes off, it kind of, it drags all the rest with it after that so you end up selling the book which wasn't selling but it's the same book written by the same person <laughs> yes. and you know it, it it's identically the one that you launched and which didn't work so it's it's amazing that you know i guess that's why writers are saying that you know it's it's very the, the, what you should always do is go ahead and write your next book because you never yes. know which one will take off <laughs> It's true. And that's also why I tell people not to give up on a book that isn't selling. Um, You know, especially today, a lot of people put so much hope on the launch. And if the launch doesn't produce, you know, 
a number one bestseller or it doesn't sell hundreds of copies, they, they think it's a failure. It, 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 that doesn't necessarily mean it is. You know, we put a lot of importance on that launch, but it doesn't mean the book is over. You know, if you do go ahead and write another one or you just try a different marketing tactic, mm. people will go back to your backlist if another one takes off. I didn't know that. I know that now um, <laughs> because I had a couple of other books that were out and they ended up even doing a little bit better once the you know, the ghost story did well. Oh, yeah. Well, which kind of makes me think that maybe it's just a matter of getting the minimum level of attention and eyeballs yeah. on your book. So let's talk about that. How do you make sure that enough people have found out and seen your book? You can't limit yourself um, to one medium for one thing. You know, in, in these ebook groups, I see a lot of people worrying about ROI and, um, you know, is it really worth my time? Is this method going to, to give me a good return? And I, although we all need to think like business people and we all need to think like marketer, marketers, don't you know, don't poo-poo an idea just because you think it might not work. I spread myself out over quite a bit of of mediums and platforms. Um, Pinterest, you know, I create Pinterest pages uh, which tie in with my fiction series. It helps create that world that mm -hmm. my series, um, you know, has. I also, I'm not very good at Twitter, so Twitter is kind of out for me. But I blog a little bit. I guest post on other people's blogs. Uh, I've done a Flickr. I have a Flickr account because my protagonist is a photographer. So I set all of these up in her name. And you can get on Flickr and see Taryn's photography. Not only does this bring in audiences from a bunch of different sites, but it also helps uh, increase your Google presence, too. Uh-huh. Yeah, I see. Okay. So you basically uh, say that, you know, in more places you're involved. Uh, yes. You know, more potential audience you're reaching out and then you, you take it from there. You don't want to spread yourself too thin. You know, you don't want to be spending so much time keeping up multiple websites that you don't have time to write. But it doesn't take long to set accounts up. And then if you schedule yourself, you know, you say the second Monday of each month, I'm going to devote some time to this site or, you know, a, a 15 minutes a day, I'm going to work on this site. It's not so bad. I mean, I've kind of got a pattern and a schedule down now where it doesn't take up, you know, much of my time at all. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I see. I see what you mean. So basically, you drive all these new people from different platforms to your website, right? Yes, to my website or to straight to Amazon, depending on um, the website and, you know, the what my motive is for the day or my objective is for the day. But I try to take them straight to my to my website um, when I can. Okay, so we, we spoke during all the 
different episodes I've been recording up to now, we have spoken a lot about building email lists to be able to get connected and stay in touch with your readers and stuff like that and how important that is. So um, how do you uh, address that issue on your website? Like you found out that you're using different platforms, you're getting those people's attention. Some of them are coming to your website. So how are you convincing them to to get, to leave their email address there? I change that quite a bit. Uh, you know, from month to month, my opt-in may read a little a little differently. Right now, you know, the opt-in on my website just says, um, "Do you want free eBooks? Free." chapters from other characters perspectives um i can't remember what else it says you know uh, sign up now and that i get two to three people a day from that one but the the biggest one that i'm having success with right now is i just had a new release called shaker town and it's book four in my series and during the during the book, one of the minor characters refers to a ghost story that happened to her many years ago. Mm-hmm. So at the yeah at the end of the book, uh, I say, "Do you want to know what really happened to Susan, or what Susan really saw that night by the pond?" Uh, enter your email address for a free companion short story from Susan's perspective. Uh-huh, and uh-huh. I've gained, um, wow, maybe 200 people in about two weeks from that. And it's automated. As soon as they enter their email, the story is delivered straight to their, their mm-hmm. inbox. And it, this was written, this story was written specifically for that purpose. I'm using it for an anthology too, but that's, it's not like I'm giving away a free book or, you know, even a free chapter. This story was written, written for that opt-in purpose. Okay, well, very interesting. So basically, you're kind of you have created something very special and exclusive to your loyal readers who are willing to become your email subscribers. Yeah. And one of the problems that we get with giving away a lot of free books, you know, sign up and get a free book, sometimes people sign up just to get you know, something free, and then they, they don't turn into loyal readers. In this case, they've already read the book. Mm-hmm. So they've already purchased a book. Now I'm just getting them on my email list. Yeah. So they're, they're already a fan, hopefully. If they didn't like the book, I'm <laughs> assuming that they wouldn't opt in, but... <laughs> Okay, so once you already kind of, you know, build up and keep your email list, uh, what's your interaction with them? Are you only emailing them when you have a new release or in between you're kind of sharing something with them also? Uh, I try to send something out at least once a month, sometimes twice. I do inform them of new new books. And the last email I sent out, I did an audio book, audio version of one of my books. And they gave me 25 free audio codes to hand out to people. And I gave most of those to people on my subscriber list. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that was an incentive. And um, another thing that I do is I, I'll get on Amazon. And I do this for two reasons. This does... I promise, relate back to the email list. I'll get on Amazon and I'll look at my book and I'll look at all the other books that Amazon recommends. And then I will send those authors emails and be like, hey, your book shows up next to mine. You know, you want to be friends? 
because we write in the same genre and just about everybody has written me back and I have formed some really great relationships with other authors that way. And occasionally in my newsletter, I will put one of their books in. Like if you're looking for a new ghost story, then try this one. This mm-hmm. I, And it's it's only books that I've read and books that I like. So I'm not, uh, you know, throwing just random books at them. Oh, yeah. But I, I try to give them other things to look forward to uh, also, especially when I don't have a new release coming out. You know, at least there's not a lot of ghost stories out there right now. So they like to they like to keep them coming. Okay, I see. So how do you deal with? I mean, what kind of writer are you in in a way uh, in the respect that are you plotting extensively and know exactly what your book will be about in detail? So you just sit and write what you have already planned, or you kind of have this flexibility of following the flow and letting you know a little bit of uh, you know side throws. <laughs> I kind of go with the flow. The last two books I wrote, I had no idea who the killer was until about halfway through the book. Oh, <laughs> well, that's <okay>. terrible. <laughs> but um, I always, I always start out with the opening scene. I have that very well, you know, I, I'm plotted in my head, and I can see that. So once that's kind of there, I'll sit down and start writing, and from there, yeah. It just it just comes. I don't outline. I've tried to outline and it it unnerves me. I don't like sticking to something. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah, I see. But you basically uh stick to one genre in terms of what you write, right? In terms of what I've published, I've stuck to one one genre. My husband would have quite a bit to say about this. He is uh, frustrated that so far the only thing that I've released are my ghost stories, um, the paranormal mysteries and the true ghost stories. I actually write in other genres. I haven't released them yet. I'm I'm nervous. I'm nervous about it. Okay, well, uh, you need another fear attack to kind of... Yeah, or something. (laughs) (laughs) I've got a lot of medical bills right now. That might be... uh, That might might scare me into the next one. Okay, so let's understand, since you had this experience of, you know, uh, releasing nonfiction books and fiction books as well, so you can compare those. uh, Can you tell, like, you know, uh, what are the differences and how, uh, you know, in which respect it's harder to market fiction books and sell fiction books as opposed to nonfiction for for one reason, uh, you know, with nonfiction, it's fairly easy to establish yourself as a, oh, you know, I lost my train of thought here. You know, you can do the blog posts You can, as an expert. There we yeah. go. It's fairly easy to establish yourself as an expert because you can create a website around your theme and, your, you know, the subject matter of the book and reach out to others with similar similar interests and cross-post, cross-promote. Cross with fiction, we don't have that as much. Um, you know, almost none of us have any kind of back-end product, for one thing. We just rely on our stories. The stories are all we have. And I can't call myself, you know, an expert on the paranormal. 
because I don't I don't have a degree in parapsychology or you know I haven't had any specific training in you know exorcism but uh, but I think that is probably you know the biggest difference and the way that I know that is because I did release a nonfiction book about grief, and it centers around the loss of my son. But I also interviewed a lot of other women who had lost children as well. That book was a lot easier to market because I could target grief groups, mm-hmm. and I gave I gave them away for free. For you know, I'm not saying I went into a grief group and tried to sell my book to to grieving parents. I did offer free copies, but I mean, there are grief groups, there are grief websites. Um, you know, I, several times I got asked to speak. You know, in front of groups, grief support groups. That was a lot easier than trying to sell a fictitious ghost story because at that point I'm just reaching random readers. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I see. I see what you mean. So basically with uh, fiction, especially for writers who write fiction but don't write series, they write standalone books, uh, it's, it's you know, like it seems like the biggest challenge is for those writers because they kind of, they don't even have a series by, which by giving out the first book you can gain some, uh, you know, yeah, readers for it. <laughs> right, right. That is that is difficult. The standalone standalone novels are probably the hardest to push. And if you're writing standalone books that are not related to a series, I guess my biggest piece of advice is at least write in the same category. Mm-hmm. Because my fiction and nonfiction, at least some of them, they may not be... Um, you know, the same types of books, but they both fall under the paranormal. And I think the same can go, you know, with those who don't write in a series, because you may not get, uh, you know, leftover readers going on to book number two in the series, but because you're writing about a similar topic, they might at least move on to that book. Mm-hmm. Writing, you know, if, if, if you write a fantasy novel and then you're writing, um, you know, a sort of dystopian military novel, you're not getting crossover readers there. Oh, yeah. Exactly. And that's, yeah, that's that's the problem, I think. The other thing would be, if you have a series in mind, I would write it first and then do the standalone books because at that point you've already gained a readership and they'll probably take a chance on your other books as well. Oh, uh, yeah, I see. So, uh, basically... Uh, it's too, right now you are a full-time writer, right? Yes. Okay, and it took you about three years. Um, yes, I've been full-time uh, with my books for about a year and a half. A year and a half. Okay, yeah. so what do you think, which were the things that worked best from everything that you tried that had the biggest effect on getting where you are now? The, what probably had the biggest effect for me was a lot of the things that I did offline. And I know that's not what people want to hear who, you know, are, are selling Kindles, but I got out in my community and I kind of hit the pavement running. You know, I, I'm not a very sociable person. I'm, I'm really not. But I tried to smile and I tried to talk to people. 
and, you know, engage them and get them interested in my books. And in doing that, I, I attempted to carry it over online. And that's why I created the Facebook page for Haunted Estill County. I've neglected it a little bit in the past uh, few months, but I did keep it up every day, several times a day, and had a really active community there. And by posting, you know, sharing posts that were within the paranormal, you know, topic, I got a lot of people talking to me and interested in me. And then when the books came out, they sold. Mm-hmm. People knew people knew who I was. They knew that I knew what I was talking about, and they liked me. Mm-hmm. I can't always say that. I mean, it's I seem to offend people no matter what I say. But in that in that world, it worked. Uh, I think you know Facebook. We say this over and over. Facebook doesn't sell books, and it's true. But Facebook does sell you as an author. Yeah, And so does Twitter, and so do some of these other social media sites. And I tried to pay a lot of attention to that. I maybe didn't sell a book on it, but I definitely definitely sold myself. Yeah, exactly. And it builds up credibility and relationships yeah. and creates your kind of personal image and brand, right. which people start perceiving in a certain way. So, yeah. yes, I, I, I believe in that, too, that, you know, you just shouldn't really stick to only places which sell books, but you should also kind of get out. I mean, it, it's basically what you said when you're going out and physically getting involved in your community and putting yourself out there. I mean, Facebook and other social media and different other groups for authors and readers, they are kind of, you know, the online version of a community where you yeah, also yeah. go out and put yourself out there so yeah I, I it's agree. true and you need to think about what you're writing what you're posting try to keep it in um in line with what you write too because that's why people find you they find you because they like your books and they want to see more of that they want to see that person oh yeah so i i try to keep that in mind too i mean if it was i'd probably just post cat videos all day if it was just <laughs> me but i try to you know, <laughs> throw in some paranormal stuff too Okay, so Rebecca, what are your plans for the future? So once you already, you know, reached the stage where you can do this full time, so you basically, you know, don't have yet another nine to five job getting on the way and not letting you write for those hours while you have to do something else. And while you already established your, uh, you know, income in a such way that, you know, you you, you can afford writing full-time. So what, what are you going to do next? So I have uh, another book in my series coming out. I have a brand-new series that's going to come out probably around Christmas. And the next big step business-wise is I really want to bring my husband on board to work with me so that he isn't working outside of the house. Uh, If we could make this kind of a family business, that would be great. We still depend on his income uh, a little bit, and he likes to work. You know, he's a man, he's a provider, he has to to give something to the household. And right now, I don't have anything that he can do for that. I'd like to expand somewhat so that he feels like 
you know, he can help me, he can run part of the business and we can still make an income with it. So that's really the next step that we're working on. I'm going to start consulting um, in August, hopefully, and he will probably step in and, and take over a lot of that, the behind the scenes work. Okay, I see. Well, thank you very much for coming over. I wish you success with everything that you are starting and with your upcoming books. And thanks a lot for sharing your expertise. Thank you. Well, I guess it's all for today. If you have already written a book, please check out our services at publishmybook.today. And if you haven't yet, keep listening to the show and of course, keep writing. I'll meet you next week. Have a great weekend and thank you once again for listening. <laughs>